0: quick announcements. First, back by the door on the little square table is a a book with a pen. We began it last week. It's a book of remembrances, uh, farewells to Steve and Linda Morehouse. Many of you signed it last week, but we're going to go ahead this week and next week, try to get as many people as possible to sign a remembrance of farewell to Steve and Linda. So it's back. Just as you're exiting, take a moment and say something nice to them. Also, It's not in your bulletin, but on August 27th, we are going to have a river baptism. We're going to go down to the river park once again as we did last year and baptize anybody who would like to be baptized. You know, during the communion devotional, I was sharing how we identify with the death of Jesus Christ. And first and foremost, it is through our baptism that we make a public declaration of our identification with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, if you have not been baptized and would like to be baptized, please come and see me. Let me know about that. If perhaps you were baptized some long time ago, didn't really mean as much to you as perhaps it might now, it's no, there's nothing in the Bible that I've ever read says you can't get baptized twice. In fact, I've talked to many people who have done that. If no one wants to get baptized, then we are just going to meet down at the Colorado, uh, or excuse me, at the Gunnison River Park, and we are going to have fellowship. We're going to have some food, some drink, and a wonderful time together. So August 27th, and Penny and Gail, I don't know that we've set on a time, but I think last year we did it around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so it'll be a mid-afternoon event. So please, come and see me if you want to be baptized. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, last part of the chapter. Title of the message today is, Do I Trust You, Lord? And the section that we are going to be looking at very, very much focuses on the Lord's exhortation to us not to worry. But I want to read you a few things I found on the internet that are good indicators that you're going to have a rotten day. Now, some of you may not be able to identify with this, but I suspect many of you will. Your birthday cake collapses from the weight of the candles. (laughs) You turn on the morning news, and they're showing emergency routes out of the city. Any twins in here? Any twins? Okay, your twin sister forgets your birthday. (laughs) That would be a bad day. Your boss... Tells you when you come into the office not to bother to take off your coat. I had that one happen to me. You call your answering service. Do people have answering services anymore? Dates this a little bit. And they tell you it's none of your business. This one could could actually be happening sometime before too long. Your income tax check bounces. <laughs> and then my favorite of all of these. Your car horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck as you follow a group of hell's angels down the freeway. (laughs) Bad day. Bad day. You know, as Christians, we should be the most carefree of people. We are the sons and the daughters of the living God. He cares for our every need. We are a part of His family. And as I mentioned during the worship and stewardship... Every hair on our head is counted. Every sparrow that falls, he notices. He is very attentive to us. And he has the resources to provide for us. And yet, we are human. We do have those moments where we begin to worry. And Jesus here is beginning to exhort his disciples with regards to the importance of of a faith-driven life. A life that focuses on God and His kingdom first and does not allow the worries of the day to consume us, to take up our energy. So let's read. It's in chapter 6 of Matthew, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor nor spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all of his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. But rather, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus is exhorting His disciples to have a different kind of approach to life than they had before they came to faith in the living God. A different kind of approach to life than all of the multitudes that live without the knowledge of or relationship with God. We, of all people, ought to look different. We ought to live with joy, peace, and righteousness surrounding us. First word in verse 25 is therefore. So Jesus is predicating everything I just read to you based on something that he has just said. And he had just told them not to store up for themselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, rather store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, There, your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, based on that, based on the fact that Jesus has told his disciples to put your treasure in God, not in money, therefore, don't worry. The word translator, actually, it's a phrase there in the Greek, therefore I tell you, do not worry, comes from the, the Greek word merim, merim nao. And "merimnao" nao means to divide or to separate. And the root of "merimnao," nao, mer, means to, literally to strangle. And so Jesus here says, don't be divided about how you live your life. Don't take your attention and your energies and focus on things that really are not eternal in their measure. They come and they go, just as the grass of the field, wondrously clothed but burned in the fire tomorrow. He says our focus ought to be, our treasure ought to be with God, where He is. Because when it's not, we are divided. We are trying to attend to, worrying about the things of this world rather than committing ourselves to the kingdom of God, which is eternal. Now, all of us, I'm saying this recognizing that all of us have worried. All of us have at different points in time in life, worried about things. 40% of the things that we worry about will never happen. 30% of the things we worry about are in the past, and we can't change them anyway. 12% of the things we worry about are criticisms that come from others or our perception of what others think of us which is often untrue to begin with. 10% of our worries are about health, which only gets worse when we stress out. Thank you, Angie. And 8% of the things we worry about actually are problems that we need to address, that worry is not going to resolve. Which one of us, Jesus says, through worry, can add a single hour to our life? by fretting over what is going to happen or what has happened or our perceptions of what is happening. Which one of us, by worrying about that, by perseverating on it and thinking about it constantly, can do anything about it? Now, there are constructive things that we ought to do with our lives. Absolutely. We provide for ourselves through work, through jobs, through education so that we can enter into work. Those are all good things to do. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is talking about the person whose treasure is in earthly possession, who is so focused on obtaining the things of this life that they lose sight of what is truly important. Those eternal things. It's interesting to me here. The heaven, our Heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air and clothes the grass and the flowers of the field. And yet, these are not His children. They're His creation. But He did not die to redeem the grass. He died to redeem us. He died To draw us into his family so that we can have a relationship with him. So that he indeed can be our heavenly father, our Abba. Now, in chapter 7 of Matthew, Jesus says this. Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? And, of course, the rhetorical answer there is none of us. None of us would give to our children something that is going to harm them when they have asked for something that they need. And Jesus says, So then, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So what this all boils down to is a matter of trust. It boils down to trust. Who are we going to trust to be in control of our lives? Because here's what I find. Most of the anxiety that I personally experience, most of the anxious thoughts that I have, are when I'm trying to control the outcome of my life. When I am trying to manipulate, to work things around to coordinate things, to turn out how I want them to turn out rather than simply stepping back and saying, you know what? God is on the throne. He's got this. See, I don't have the knowledge or the resources to effectively control my life. I don't even know what tomorrow holds for me. So how can I really control that? I mean, again, I can plan for the future, but I cannot control it. And that's what we often do. We often have these anxious thoughts about what is going to happen. Or we're tethered into the past about something that has happened. And it robs us of our peace. It robs us of our joy. Rather than living in the moment with a faithful trust in a God who loves us, who does have the knowledge and the resources to control our future and hold it in his hand. So what's the answer to anxious thoughts? Well, it's in... Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, which is very much a repeat of of what Jesus says here in verse 25. Do not worry. No worry. No anxious thoughts. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer with supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just as Jesus says, when we have a need, we ask our Heavenly Father, and he delights in giving us the good things that we need. It's his great pleasure to provide for us. But do we trust him? Do we really trust God to provide for our needs? I love that last song we sang during the the stewardship time. When you don't give the answer to me, am I still able to trust you? When the water is not parted for me to walk through, am I able to still trust you? When the provision doesn't come in, in the timeliness that I would desire it to come, am I still able to hold on to the truth that you will provide for me? The psalmist wrote that I have lived for a long time. I once was young and now I am old, but I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. God has promised us in his word to meet our needs. In Romans chapter 8, probably one of the most wonderful promises in the Scripture. It says, what shall we say in response to these things? And that is all that God has done for us. What shall we say in response to them? If God is for us, who can be against us? So stop just a moment. We're not even to the good part yet. (laughs) But just stop for a moment. Think about that. If God is for you, who can be against you? What force Can prevail against you in your life. If you are trusting God, the sovereign, omnipotent, all powerful God, He is for you. He is on your side. He desires your good. Who can prevail against you other than your own mind, your own anxious thoughts, if you allow that? But understand that God is for you. And here's the evidence. Here's the evidence that God is for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What do you need? What do you perceive that you need? God's ready to give it to you. He has it in His hand. And at the perfect time, He will provide for you. Whatever that need is, whether it's food, whether it's clothing, whether it's a a job, whether it is a relationship healing, whether it is a physical healing, whatever your need is, God knows that you have need of it. He's not scrambling around up there trying to figure things out. He's got that. He's got your life in his hand. He is for you. You don't need to worry. You don't need to be anxious about your life. He has promised to provide for you. The Apostle Paul writes, There are those who have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words, That result in envy and strife and malicious talk, evil suspicions, constant frictions between people of corrupt minds. They've been robbed of the truth and they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we will take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, with this we will be content. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, pierce themselves with many griefs. Where is your treasure? Where's your trust? Who do you serve here this morning? Now stop and think about that. Try to answer that honestly. By the way in which you live your life. Because there will be tests. If you say, I trust God. If you say, I know that God has my back. He is for me. Who can be against me? He has given his son. How will he not provide everything graciously for me? When you say that, I want to say this to you. You will be tested. The test will come. I said that for 25 plus years as a Christian. I said God's got this. There's no problem. He has all of I knew all of the answers. Until that one morning I walked in to my boss's office and he said don't take your coat off. I had a secure government job. It wasn't going anywhere. But it did. We called it the Friday morning massacre. My boss, a co-worker of mine, and two bosses from other parts of the agency were all laid off that morning. Wow. I have to tell you. I have to tell you. At that point in time, I wondered, God, what's going on here? I've always tithed. I've always given offerings. I've always served in the church. I trusted you. Why is this happening? Well, it's like with any test. The test was not to inform God about whether I trusted him or not, but it was to inform me about whether I really trusted God. Over the course of the next several months, I put feet to my faith, and I began to look for work, trying to find avenues of employment constantly. I was 51 years old. I don't know what your experience is, but if you're trying to get a job in your 50s, it ain't easy. And so for five months, I'm searching, trying to find work, trying to see where God was at in all of this trial. Well, long story short, the director of the Human Services Department here had read in the newspaper about all the things that had happened there in um, Mesa County, called me and offered me a job. I came here, began to work, and very soon after I began to work at the county, met Steve Morehouse and some other Christians who attended church here, who invited me to church here. When I stopped pastoring in 2006, I could have guaranteed you, see, this is the knowledge and the resources deal. I could have guaranteed you, I'll never pastor again. I did not see it in my future. And yet God had other plans. And it took a severe test in my life to direct me to a place where once again, He was going to place me in the ministry. I don't know what you're going through here today. I don't know what kind of challenges you may be facing. I know you are facing challenges of one kind or another. We all do. But what I can tell you is that in the testing, God will be faithful. As you seek first his kingdom, and its righteousness. Why can I give you that absolute assurance? First and foremost, the word of God. The word of God is living and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the joints and the marrow, the soul and the spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God always, always, it says in Isaiah 55, accomplishes that which it was sent forth to accomplish so god has given us his word he will provide for us he will take care of us we are his children i can also say it because of the character of god which changes not god is the same yesterday today and indeed forever he is good i love the the line in the lion the witch and the wardrobe Where the children ask, is Aslan safe? And the beaver responds, oh no, he's not safe. But he is good. And that's true of our God. We will experience difficult times. Peter and James had been imprisoned because of the testimony of Jesus Christ. James had been beheaded as a result of his witness. And yet God had other plans for Peter. An angel delivered him from the jail, restored him to the church, and he went on to minister. But ultimately, Peter still died a martyr's death. Our lives are not guaranteed to be safe, to be comfortable. But our lives as his children are assured to be in his hands. And the third reason I can absolutely assure you that God will take care of you and provide for you is because he has created a new heaven and a new earth wherein righteousness dwells. That is the world to which we are headed. That is the resurrected world where God will take this creation and he will restore it to the way it should be. He will take each one of us and resurrect our bodies into spiritual bodies that are going to be fit for eternity. Our lives, though they are very much a factor in this world, ultimately they are for the future. And when you place your life in the service of the kingdom of God, as it says here in verse 33, And it's righteousness. The new heaven and the new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. When you have your focus there, it doesn't matter if you're James and you're beheaded or if you're Peter and you're rescued. It doesn't matter if you're William Carey and you serve for 41 years with only a few hundred converts. God is still using your life to build his kingdom, and to produce fruit for eternity. Now, your anxious thoughts will argue against that. The enemy absolutely will come against that kind of thinking and tell you, what a waste of your life, William Carey. What an absolute absurdity that you left everything you had in England and came to India to serve, to preach the gospel. But in eternity, I can tell you this, William Carey's crown is full of jewels. Same with you. Same is true for you in your life. What are you about today? What is your passion? What is your focus? Is it connected to, entrenched within the kingdom of God? I hope so. Because if it is, your passion is going to endure into eternity. If your passion is for this world only, Paul says, we are of all people to be the most pitied. If our hope is only in this life, you know, what a bummer. There's going to be trials, there's going to be tests. Each day has enough trouble of its own, Jesus said. But in the midst of that test, in the midst of that trial, don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't allow yourself to be divided or to be strangled, literally, from possessing the joy and the peace that God alone can give to you. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for all the good things that you do for us. You have told us many, 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 many times not to be worried not to be anxious, not to be fearful. And so my prayer for myself and for each soul and saint here this morning, hearing my voice this morning, is that we would take these words to heart, that we would be anxious for nothing, that we would fear not, that we would fix our eyes upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. For you will keep us in perfect peace when our eyes are fixed upon you. I pray for every soul here who is going through a testing, whether it be financial, whether it be emotional, whether it be spiritual, Lord, in that testing, grow their faith, mature their trust in you, Lord, and show them your mighty hand, just as you did to the Israelites when you delivered them through the Red Sea out of Pharaoh's hand. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Bless us, Lord, for it is by your grace and for your glory that we live. In Jesus' name, amen.